0: Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, we are looking at our gospel reading for the week, which comes to us from Matthew 22, verses 34 through 46. In this story, the Pharisees gather together for one reason. Jesus is becoming a problem. He has silenced the Sadducees. We see that in verse 34. And the Pharisees are worried about how he is upending the apple cart of Jewish society and religion. The Sadducees were a religious political group of the day who represented Herod's influence over the Jewish people. So they were kind of in cahoots with the Roman government. The Pharisees, by contrast, were the populace of their day. If the Sadducees were the establishment, the Pharisees were more of kind of the popular understanding of the law. Historian Josephus said that the Pharisees often allied with the traditional power structures when they believed that a situation had grave natural co- or national consequences. There's this expert in the law, and he addresses Jesus as teacher, which is an outward form of politeness. He then asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? This was a pretty common question asked among the rabbis. You're basically asking, how do you define what it means to be the people of God? How do you sum up the law? There were 613 commandments in the law, and people often wanted to know which are really the most important and which one is the greatest. And it was common in this tradition for Pharisees to ask a question and then to debate it among themselves. It was especially common for rabbis to debate which command was the greatest and then which commands were light and which commands were heavy. Some of the commands that were debated to be the heaviest were things like honoring your parents and also loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus gives a pretty traditional answer. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, no one can question this answer. Jesus, of course, would eventually challenge everyone by the way that he lived out the two greatest commandments through his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, but his answer is pretty traditional. Now, if the law is summed up in love for God and love for one's neighbor, what's challenging here is it means that God's people are to look like God in how we love one another. Let's take a closer look at Jesus's answer. It was kind of a mashup or a remix of two Jewish laws, the Shema and then the greatest principle in the law from Leviticus. So the first is the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, and part of it is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know this, right? The Shema was the closest thing to a creed in Judaism. And the second commandment that Jesus quotes is from Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. This was called the greatest principle in the law by Rabbi Akiba Many scholars have argued that the mashup, the double commandment to love, love the Lord your God plus love your neighbor as yourself, was unique to Jesus. We don't know that for sure. The great Rabbi Hillel said that when two commandments in the law have at least one word in common, they should be kept together. And this form of the Hebrew term for love is found only in two places in the Hebrew Bible and referred to love of God, Deuteronomy, and love of neighbor, Leviticus. So these two commandments are to be thought of as together. Again, the law had 613 commandments. These two commandments that Jesus gave are not just things that God's people are to do, they're not a command in the sense of they're just something written down and then you obey it. That's part of it. But it was also a prayer that they prayed. These laws were like dispositions, points of orientation or direction for God's people. So when Jesus calls us into the kingdom of God, he doesn't just call us to obey a set of laws. Rather, he invites us into a new way of living. N.T. Wright says, that's when these new commandments begin to come into their own, when they are seen not as orders to be obeyed in our own strength, but as invitations, and promises to a new way of life in which, bit by bit, hatred and pride can be left behind and love can become a reality. Then, in the next part of this reading, Jesus asks the Pharisees a question. And it's kind of a riddle. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, in the first century, there was this important, long-held belief that the Jewish Messiah or this character who would come on the scene and would deliver Israel would come from the line of David, David's family. He would be a son of David. Now, David was Israel's greatest king and he had some issues and his kids had even more issues. But under David's leadership, Israel's empire was at its height. People in the first century longed for the days when David's rule and reign from long ago would be experienced again. So the people respond to Jesus' question by saying he'll be a son of David. The people looked at the time of David as a time when they were not ruled by pagan oppressors, when the nation was as close to fulfilling its intention as it ever had been. And when the Messiah comes, the hope was they'll experience that thing again, a Davidic kingdom. Yet Jesus seems to challenge their assumptions in an interesting way. He seems to be indicating that although the Messiah will be from the line of David, he will also be more than a descendant of David. The Messiah won't just be a son of David, but will actually be David's Lord. The Messiah is not just an earthly king who will deliver Israel, according to the prophecies. He's not just another, greater David. He's something more. Now, why is this important? Because we need something more. Our world needs something more. We need more than just someone with the right family. We need more than a political leader. We need more than a revolution. Those things won't make the world right. Why? Because the pain of the world is so much deeper than something a political liberator can provide. We need a whole new way of being human. Jesus says that the one whom they hope for is not only an earthly king, but the Lord himself and he quotes Psalm 110 to support his point here. In this quotation, David is prophesying about the coming Messiah, the one who would set Israel right. And in this passage, David calls someone Lord. Who is David referring to in Psalm 110? If it was one of his descendants, he wouldn't call him Lord. He would use the term son. Who is greater than the king? Who is the Lord of the king? Well, Jesus is giving us a glimpse behind the curtain. It's something that will take the early church years to unpack, but Jesus is saying that he is not only David's son. He is not only an earthly king who is part of the right family. He is not here merely to provide political liberation. He has come to defeat the ultimate enemy, sin and death itself the early church will later call jesus son of god not just son of david but son of god thanks for listening to the resurrection people podcast subscribe rate and review to help us get the word out you can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at the art of